This whole series is based on this spiritual fight that we are all in. Either knowingly or unknowingly, we are all in a fight. Um, you'll be able to follow uh, with me if you scan that QR code that's on the screen behind me or you can go to northwood.church notes. All in some sort of fight, again, knowingly or unknowingly, and it's a spiritual fight. This spiritual fight is is between sin and righteousness. It's that, it's that cosmic battle between light and darkness, but ultimately it's between Satan and God. And we are part of one kingdom or another. But what we're trying to do through this series is, is look at the different strategies uh, but, but of Satan, but also of God and expose the strategies of the enemy. And we want to embrace the strategies of God. Last week, we... We exposed the enemy's strategy uh, to confuse our identity. Like that whole idea, who are we? If you were here last week, we, we took a minute during the service and said, think for a second, who are you? And then we began to fill that in with biblical context. Um, but this week, we're going to talk from a different angle. Last week's message would have been understood when we painted the picture of the kingdom of world and what the kingdom of the world wants to do. It says that what you do or like the titles that you have, we call them functions, but like the different titles that you have as an individual, what they do is they steer your purpose. So if, if I'm a if I'm a dad, then my purpose is to lead these kids into that's what my world revolves around and then which ultimately influences who I am, my identity. When we looked at the kingdom of God, we see that who we are as citizens of heaven, as, as children of God, our identity then shapes our purpose, the very reason that we exist and that plays out through all the various functions that we have or the different titles that we have. If the enemy can steal your identity, if he can do that, if he can confuse your identity, he will kill and he will destroy your purpose. That is the goal. So this week, we're going to be talking about the fight for our purpose because we believe that purpose actually flows from our identity. Why we exist flows from who we actually are. And if we confuse these things, if we reverse engineer this thing, it's going to misalign the very purpose of our life. What we're doing through this message series is we're looking at a story of one of our members. His name is John Henley. Cool thing about John is he's going to be at student night tonight. He's going to be helping lead worship tonight. So I just think it's fun. But if you were here last week, you saw a little bit of his story. But we are watching his story and watching the way that, that God moves in people's lives, but also the way the enemy strategizes and tries to influence people's lives. But in John's story, we saw last week that he, it ended with like him experiencing the love of God, him getting... We see very early in the next part of his story, though, that just because he made a decision to follow Jesus didn't mean that his life was smooth sailings. I think sometimes we... We buy into the idea that, hey, I did the right thing. I, I, I got saved or whatever word you want to use. I did the thing, but now my life is like totally messed up. We actually see the way that John navigates that in his life. So this story is going to be a little bit longer. It's about six minutes of video, but I think it's going to minister really well. You can go on and play it. And I gave my life to Christ. And uh, God did a just a miraculous work in my life. He healed me and he 
he cleaned me from those demonic spirits that had tortured me for years. And I started serving in the church. I met my wife. Uh, we started serving together and, and things were going pretty good. I was still dealing with some of the depression, but I was I was relying on God. I was I would worship God. His grace was sufficient, as the word says. And about 2012, uh, I was in a severe, severe accident, very traumatic. At first, initially, I was okay. But then, because of the nature of the trauma, I had this dark cloud come over me. And it, it was an extreme fear of death. Every day when I woke up, I felt fear, like I was gonna die and the anxiety and the depression come back and it was worse. In the Bible, it talks about when a man's cleaned of an un unclean spirit, it goes out and can't find rest, so it comes back. And when it comes back, the house is swept. And then it goes back out and gets seven more spirits, more evil than it, and dwells in that house. And the man's worse off than before. And I lived that scripture. I was worse off than before. This went on for about six years. I'd, I'd made a decision and that I was either gonna leave home and start a new life or I was gonna take my life. And I was really leaning on the ladder to take my life. And I was still coming to church, but I was, I was just going through the motions. But I did reach out to a friend and he's also my pastor now. Uh, Pastor Stephen DeFazio, I reached out to him and just told him what was going on. And he had compassion for me and he listened to me and he prayed with me and he gave me hope to keep fighting. And one day, another man that's been really pivotal in my life, Curtis Gillum, he was leading up the team and uh, he said, hey, John, how you doing? And I just replied with a canned answer. And I said, oh, I'm doing good, man. And he stops and he looks at me very seriously and he goes, he said, no, I really knew that was God saying, I see you. And then I was actually in another pretty serious accident at my job that left me hospitalized. And I was laying in the hospital bed and I spoke to God and I hadn't spoke to God in quite a while. And I told God, I said, I get it, God, I deserve this. I deserved to be here in this hospital bed. And uh, later on that night, I received a text from a dear friend of mine who I knew was a woman who's, who seeks the Lord regularly. She didn't know what I said to God, but she texted me and the text simply said, this didn't happen because you deserved it. <laughs> and right there, that response, I knew God was real and God loved me. And he wanted to, to see better for me. So I began to fight again. I began to fight for my life and for my faith. And I started to seek God again. And uh, I was still struggling. I was still dealing with the anxiety and we were, we were going through COVID then. So my anxiety was heightened even more because of everything that was being said. I was already de dealing with the severe anxiety. 
But during COVID, I also turned 40 that year, and I decided I wanted to learn to play an instrument for, for the first time. And so I did, I started learning how to play the bass and uh, got a message from Pastor Jordan Dakota one day. He said, you ever thought about trying out for the worship team? And I was like, man, that'd be awesome. I was like, I don't think I'm ready for that. And he said, well, you send me some video. And I, so I sent him a video of me playing. He's like, man, you should audition. And uh, I said, all right. So I did and I filled out the form and auditioned and I passed the audition for the Infuse and started training. But I, as I started doing that, I just really started to press into worshiping God. I'd all, Before I'd always worship God musically. And uh, I started really just pressing in and focusing on worshiping God. And as I worshiped, the next thing you knew, the fear was gone. The anxiety was gone. Like it, it was, I was miraculously healed. Uh, there's no other way to explain it. Like I literally just woke up and I had complete peace. I'm not scared to die. I'm very confident in my faith and in my salvation. And God started to restore everything that the devil had stole from me. And, you know, I went to my children and my wife and I asked them to forgive me. And they started seeing the change in me. And now I'm serving on the worship team with my son, my wife, and my daughter is serving uh, at the OS campus. So God started restoring all those things. He tried to, you know, the enemy tried to take me out of my family. I think he would like nothing more than me to kill myself, but God had a plan. When you see me worship on stage, just know that I'm worshiping from a place of deliverance and dependence on God. You see, you see in John's story, there was this critical moment where he's like, I've got no purpose in life. And it's amazing that that's ultimately what the enemy wants to do in your life. Your enemy wants to first confuse your purpose. And once you run after that for an extended amount of time and it ends up being like unfulfilling, the enemy wants to eventually give you, feed you a lie that you have no purpose. And then when you reach that spot or you have been fed that lie for any amount of time, you begin to think about it more. You begin to internally agree with it. And then you saw where John was. He's considering doing final decisions with his own life, all because of this strategy of the enemy. Purpose is a big deal. The reason you do something is a really big deal. All of us have a purpose or a goal in our life. The definition of the word purpose is just this. It's the, the object towards which one or the object which we are striving for. The reason that something exists. It's like the goal, the aim of our life. The aim of our goal is what is considered Purpose. Your purpose is why you 
exist, which means you need to be able to answer that question. I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but think to yourself, why do you exist? For real. Like, what's the real reason that I'm living? What's the real reason that I am doing what I do? Our first response um, to, to that question or that idea usually revolves around individual things, self things. Usually the reason that we exist revolves around individual successes, personal goals, desires, uh, my dreams. This is good, right? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's almost like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's why we exist, right? It's dangerous, though. If the very reason that we exist revolves around me, myself, I, let me also just say my family, then we are walking on dangerous territory because we are existing for self. The world that we live in, if you go start watching some of the biggest names in the leadership circle, I'm not talking Christian leadership right now, I'm just talking about the, like Gary Vee and like these types of people, their mantra is run over people. <laughs> like, like, hey, if somebody's in your way, from what you want to get, like run them over. If you need to step on them to get to the place that you need to go, step on them. Do whatever you have to do to make your name big. The world that we live in is saying, find the dream in your heart and whatever that dream is, you dedicate your whole life to making that dream a reality. That's good, right? Well, do you remember a couple weeks ago we were having a conversation around the tabernacle. And we talked about the children of Israel, the, the God's people, they made a poor decision because they chose to, instead of worshiping God himself, they chose if we worshiped a golden calf like them, but the American society, but really just humanity. This isn't a knock on America. This is a knock on humanity. We are going to worship something in the world that we live in is saying, worship yourself. We don't, we don't make altars to it. We don't make worship songs to it, but the very reason and the way that we live our lives is one of self-idolatry in the kingdom of the world. Our purpose is to glorify self. And that's what the enemy wants you to buy into. He wants you to say, Whatever is in you, go after that with everything that you have and don't worry about anything else. It means don't let anything else into the schedule. Don't let anything else become a priority. It's only what is in here or in here. You run the path. Self-fulfillment is a strategy of the enemy and the strategy is to destroy your purpose. And the crazy thing is oftentimes it feels meaningful. But it doesn't lead to actual life. John 10, last week we talked about it. It talked about Jesus saying, but man, 
follow me. Like if you follow my way, you'll experience real life, abundant life. And something in our heads and in our hearts says that if we do what we were just talking about, we run after those dreams in our hearts, those goals in our hearts, and whatever it takes to achieve those things, then we will be satisfied. But time and time and time again, we do that and we come up short. We get the very thing that we wanted, but we're still empty. So then you go on to the next thing or on to the next thing or to the next dream and we end up living this life of pursuing these random dreams, thoughts, hopes. And what would happen if we did that our entire life and we worked our whole way and at the very end we were still dissatisfied? Is that possible? Yes. The scriptures tell us this. It says in Matthew 16, what will it actually profit a man if he gets it all? but he loses his soul. The scripture is telling us you can actually achieve earthly success. You can gain the whole world. But you could list or you could lose, you could lose the eternal thing. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The question that we have to start to ask ourselves is what am I actually sacrificing to achieve this goal, this dream? The fight for our purpose is actually a fight for our worship. We were all created to worship. We were created to be worshipful beings. And either knowingly or unknowingly, we are all worshiping something. How do you worship? We're like, well, no, we just sing songs. I'm worshiping God. Like, to, hey, you know, problem solved. No, worship is through our life. Our lives are a constant act of worship to someone, to something, or to ourselves. This is a fight for worship. And the enemy would love for us to dedicate every single part of our lives to, at the very end, glorify ourselves and what it is it's a counterfeit purpose. It looks right. It feels right. But at the end, it has no actual value. The kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God, our purpose is to glorify God. If instantly, and I just want to encourage you, if instantly when we hear that, we see those two kingdoms and we're like, okay, so I have to choose either to glorify God or glorify, and I'm just gonna talk super practical. If we're like glorifying God, like I'd much rather this, then let me encourage you not to change your actions to try to line up with this. We would try to change our heart. We would try to see the message that we had last week about a new identity because if we try to live kingdom of God principles without having a kingdom of God identity, we will be sorely dissatisfied. You'll end up in religion. Religion's relationless religion where it's just a giant list of rules and do's and don'ts and there's no satisfaction through any of it. But if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you're a follower of Christ. It says that you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And being a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have a new purpose. 
You have one purpose, and your purpose is to glorify God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the question is, what is the chief end of man? Like, what's the, what's the goal of mankind? And it's this, it's man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorifying God is the goal. Glorifying God is the object of our lives. So early on in my life, I, I, on my Christian walk, I thought, okay, so the only thing that matters is glorifying God, yes. But how do I glorify God with my life, the way that I'm living right now? It's not a change of occupation. It's not a change of title. It's a change of aim or goal. So pleasing God or glorifying God in my life looks like as a dad, my goal is to lead my kids into not only a relationship with God, but then to reflect the character of Christ. It means as a student that I, I student differently. <laughs> like, what's that mean? It, it's simple. It's, it's not giant change. I think too often we're looking for massive shifts. The massive shift takes place in here, but then it plays out in micro decisions, micro daily decisions. It literally means, and I said it last week, your DMs look different. It means that your reputation is one that's pure, that's righteous, that it's not bad to have the reputation that you're the church kid, by the way. Like, that's not bad, <laughs> What does it mean? It means that on the job, you, you're a different type of employee. It means that you live a life of integrity. It means that every single thing, I was talking with a police officer a little bit ago, they were in the first service, and they were like, like every time they make a traffic stop, they say a prayer, let them see you through me. I'm like, that's it. Now, I don't know how many of us are thinking when we get pulled over, like, oh, that looks like Jesus. Like, like, but it's, it's an admirable prayer. It's that thought, though, of the way that I live isn't reflecting Christ. And if it is, then that glorifies him. If I am living a life of principle, and I'm living a principle not just for the good of me, but to glorify God, here's the deal. It's going to be good for you. But what if the very motive of my life, every decision I made, every title that I had, the lens that I lived through was how can I glorify God in this? Maybe start thinking about your titles, the things that you do or the, the roles that you have and ask yourself or lovingly ask God, how can I utilize this role or title to glorify God? Because 1 Corinthians says this, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Matthew 5 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See your good works. What does that mean? That means even when we do something for other people, that means that when they thank you or they, whatever that exchange looks like, you simply deflect glory to God. I was talking to another 
person, a, a, business, a restaurant owner recently, and they shared a story about how they really don't like Sunday afternoons at church. Uh, Sunday afternoons at their restaurant because that's when church people come. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I thought that'd be good. Here's the reputation of a lot of church people at restaurants is they're cheap. Don't be the type of person that on the tip line writes a scripture. Like, that's... <laughs> You're like, no, it's for the glory of God. Nah, God's not getting glory with you writing a scripture instead of a tip in there. What if we were generous, and then when the server went to you and said, thank you, you just, your life, like seriously, it's in everything that we do, how can we glorify God? Somehow, some way, we've, we've got a lot of the cross-country team uh, in our church, and I was at one of their races, and you saw them, uh, like before the race, they, they gather around each other, and like, it looks like a big huddle. And, you know, as a pastor, you're like, oh, I hope they're praying. That'd be cool. But reality is they're probably kicking each other, like saying something like that, you know. So I asked one of them, uh, you know, what's going on in there? And this is what was said. He said, well, we're praying. I'm like, yes. <laughs> a sermon illustration soon. You know, this is what they said. They said, this is what their prayer sounds like. God, we thank you for the gift and the talent to run. God, we pray that today that we would give everything that we have in this race. And God, as we're pouring our lives out through running, God, I pray that it would glorify you. Amen. That. Doing the same thing with a different motive. Their position in the race might not change at all, but their aim of who they're glorifying, self or God, completely changes. If that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So if you are a business owner, be the best business owner. Look for opportunities to share the good news, to glorify God through your business. If you're an officer, well, Lord, help them see you through me as I give them this ticket. You know, like that kind of stuff. Like whatever role you have, what if before you went to work every single day instead of saying, God, I hate this job, saying, God, how can I... How can this job be a platform to share you with other people today? And so if you're a teacher, what a platform. Whatever platform you have, submit it to God and say, God, how can I glorify you through this? Because we aim to glorify God by, by living in a way that pleases him. It says we're supposed to glorify him, but we're supposed to please him as well. Pleasing God is when we align our actions with his will and we live obediently. Second Corinthians says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Wherever we are, we don't just please him at church. That's fake. It's not real. The Bible talks about that being like whitewashed tombs. The tombs, they look real clean, but it's dead inside. If the only time you glorify God is at 11 till 12, 15 on Sunday morning, then we are missing it entirely. Whether we're at home or away, make it our aim to please him. Colossians says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him. The way that we walk throughout this life, day in and day out, will either please or displease him. 
says that bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, so as Christians, as citizens of the kingdom of God, the call is to live with integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I know there's a lot of examples today, but in the same way, local business owner said, the worst people that pay bills. It's, we're missing something. A gear's not catching. What is that? Integrity. Live a life of gratitude. Instead of not being thankful for what the one thing you don't have, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this breath in our lungs. God, thank you that we can gather together. A life of gratitude, a life of faith, a life that stewards the very things that we have, our talents, our resources, our time. Being good stewards of those things. Embracing biblical community. That's a life that pleases and glorifies God when we embrace community with one another, where we lift others up sometimes while others are lifting us up, when we meet the needs of the saints. I think some of the greatest ways that we glorify God is when we meet the needs of other people. When we see the need, but then we meet the need. Instead of saying someone else will get that or, hey, I'll pray for them. Prayer is good, but sometimes you are the answer to prayer. What would that church like if we were completely selfless? If we were just, we serve, not just on Sunday mornings, but we serve those around us. You know that you can actually serve selfishly? Surface, selfish service means what do I get out of this? Motive. Has somebody ever done something for you just because they could get something out of you? You ever been in a relationship like that? Where the only reason this person was connected to you was because they knew that they were going to get something out of you? It's abusive. And the dangerous thing is we can approach other people like that because we've experienced that and our life has been shaped by the trauma and the abuse that's taken place in our life. But let me tell you a different story about someone who serves selflessly. The one that we're supposed to glorify with every part of our lives. This God in heaven sees a man that's disconnected from him. Man was created to be completely on purpose if they were just connected, but something happened and fractured the relationship that that closeness that they were created for was not present any longer and there was nothing that humans could do to achieve connection again. And this loving God not saying, what can I get out of them? Said, what can I give them so that they can be whole? and puts on one remarkable display of generosity, of selflessness, giving up his life so that we could have the opportunity to actually receive life. There was no guarantee in it for him, but we received the full guarantee. God knows that we can't work our way up to him, so he comes down to us, Jesus, and lives a perfect, sinless life and offers up his perfection and his sinlessness as a sacrifice or as a payment for our imperfection. And the promises for anyone who surrenders their life to that, 
who chooses to say, that's the truth. I'm going to believe in that and I'm going to live for that. We inherit not just the abundant life here, but we inherit eternal life there. And our call on this earth, the vapor of time that we have, the micro time that we have said, hey, while you're here, show others me. That'll please me, that'll glorify me, but that'll also tell others. So he says, don't just tell them with your words, absolutely use your words, but use your actions. Serve others with no strings attached. But when opportunity is given for you, tell them, hey, give all the credit to God. Give all the glory to God. When opportunity arises to live differently, then live differently. At the very end of the day, be a light in a remarkably dark place. And the promise is that the light will stand out. So let your good work shine for others to see. What would that church look like? I think it's what we can look like. What's the call to action? I know what it is for me. The first call to action is, Lord, search my motives. Search the very reason I'm doing what I'm doing. And that matters even right here on this stage. Oh, bad motives and bad purpose can slip in me just as much as it can in you. And don't think the enemy doesn't try to use this. The way the enemy uses it against me or attempts to is, hey, look at what you've built. You got a room full of people. Oh, you got another room full of people. Look at you, look at you, look at you. What if we just said everything that we have? What a gift from God. And my prayer is that every time people gather, that they wouldn't be impressed by a person on a stage, that they wouldn't be moved by the sound limit or the ability or the inability to sing. Like they would just, people would be impressed that, oh my goodness, God is here. God spoke to me. And if you guys would leave this room with one word from God. If when we left, we went to a restaurant, we left a little bit bigger tip. And when the person came back to you and said, seriously, thank you. That we would say, <laughs> that we wouldn't say my pastor told me to do it. Lord, please don't do that. Well, we'd say something like this. You know, I really felt like God just told me to do that. Take the, take the moment. Students, take the moment. Live differently. Be a light. Turn. Stand out. You were never born to fit in anyway. We did a youth conference probably 12 years ago. We called it the out crowd. And it was the idea that it's cool to be the out crowd now. That's what we we're called to be. But I'm learning that Christianity is a band of misfits. It's a band of the out crowd. And we're supposed to stand out. And we stand out not because we're weird, we stand out because we're a light and it's dark.